All right. How you going? Good. Is do you like working? do you like the new background? Love it. Where'd you get it from? Uh somewhere online. I can't remember exactly where. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was months ago. A cool website. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens when you get things from the US now. It says your post will be delivered by twenty twenty two. Yeah, I was actually surprised it only took about two or three months. Yeah, that is good timing these days. Yeah. And look, it's cool because it kind of makes you look like a newsreader and Colombian drug lord. It's a marbly globe, but it's also still a globe. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's got a bit <laughs> that, of texture to it. It's yeah. like one of those uh, uh, automatic backgrounds on, on Final Cut or any sort of cheap editing software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can either have the text as just white or marble white. Yeah. And you chose marble white, you classy devil. I did indeed. That crap going right through Africa there. I was going to get one with the actual cities and, and, and countries, but then I thought that would just be way too noisy, too distracting for the viewers. Yeah, no, nah, you, you don't want them playing that game that everyone used to have when Facebook first came out. We've, we've gone through that. Yeah. People know where Mozambique is now. So just you just keep it to this Colombian drug law physique. Yeah, probably. I, oh, look, I, I don't actually know where Mozambique is. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> I think it's Africa, in Africa. Yeah. right? <laughs> Somewhere yeah, around right. there, mate. Somewhere there. Hmm. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. The dismissal of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Africa is uh, appropriately sized. It's to scale. Is this a two-scale map? I don't know, but I've always heard that the uh, the average globes and maps actually uh, underestimate how large Africa really is. Yeah, by three times. By three times. Is that how big it is? Mm-hmm. I don't wow. know why it is. I think it's something you do with the fact that once you put it around on a globe, it just becomes too fat, so everything just gets crammed in, and some things get elongated and some things don't. It's mostly if you're in the northern hemisphere that it goes... Wow, three times is a lot, though. It is a lot. Don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm offering a real, as always, very superficial understanding. You're not a geographer? Is that no. a profession? Yeah. I don't think there's many, though, because they do that. Basically, they just figure out how <laughs> to shrink just, maps. They, write, they, they uh, illustrate maps. Yeah. I mean, look, I th- we know what the world looks like now. That know? would have been a killer profession back in the um, 1800s. Yes, the map, the map maker. Yeah, the map you would be in creator. Demand. Yeah, yeah, that would be one like, on every ship. That would have been like the rappers back then. Well, fuck, I sounded old. That, that would have been like the rappers back then. <laughs> I just assume it would be quite a popular profession. You get to travel, and yep. there'd probably quite be quite a lot of esteem. But now, but dude, being a geographer, oh, you'd rather yeah. be a geography teacher. And that's no geography, de- no geography in year. Tip kids, geography in year 11 and 12. Let me just swallow that. Are you okay? Yes. Year 11 to 12, best subject there is. Year 7 to 10, I don't know what it is. It's all just this little deceptive trick they play on you so you go and do a shit subject like biology. I really don't know why, but in year 11 and 12, it just gets gangster. It's all just about expanding city. You know what geography should be? I didn't do it, but what's so great about it in year 11 and 12? Because it just transforms from this shit of just like, all right, year four of the difference between latitude and longitude. And then it should just change to this. It shouldn't even be called geography. It should just be called why the planet is fucked, the subject. 
Is that covered in geography, <laughs> not in science? Yeah. Damn. And dude, in science, they just like mask it in a bunch of like, you know, endothermic, ectothermic terms. No, just tell us that the frogs are dying out. What is that? Endoth- uh, ectothermic is when there's more energy that's produced in the chemical reaction, right? I don't so know. So there's a there's a uh, excess of uh, energy, whereas endothermic is when uh, more energy is required to create the new compound. I Did think- you do that? Did you do that in school? Yeah, it was a long time ago, though. Which one was it? <laughs> Which science Actually, was that? I didn't that? even do chemistry, so I don't know how I... I'm probably wrong. What? Is this I'm, just from I... Breaking Bad, is it? Probably. Yeah, probably. Some, something. This is all my years of um, <laughs> making ice. <laughs> but I definitely know one of them is when uh, there's more energy required and one of them is something to do with the bonds of the, um, the, uh, the atoms and the electrons. Man, look, I, I, I'm not disparaging people that take those subjects. <laughs> I, I really admire your uh, ability to understand these concepts. That's great if you are doing them. But I'm just telling you right now, geography is better than physics. Sorry. That's not even physics. That's chemistry. What, whatever. <laughs> it's all the same shit to me, dude. It's, okay. all, it's all just compounds. It's like all these... Like, dude, anything that has... Numbers mixed with letters on the board. I'm out. I'm not. I'm not having this. <laughs> you pick one. Okay. <laughs> what subjects did you do in high school? I did drama. I did ancient, modern. It was all the hizzy subjects: ancient, modern, geography, uh, English three, and history extension. And what else did I do? Something else. That's a lot. I dropped something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that was about the, it. So it was just basically my entire life was just in the hizzy building, hanging the, out with all the, all the divorced white subjects. mums. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you even one have... thing that white people are good at. It's knowing World War Two. It's writing it? essays. <laughs> yeah. But calculus, no. No, there are good. There are the, but the, the nerdy uh, white kids are good at that. Maths. Yeah, but every Asian and Indian kid is good at that. Is good at that. Good There's at no such thing. As, yeah. Even... And I have met some of your friends from high school, and I remember talking to you. Well, a couple of them. Who have you met? I can't even remember their names, but I just remember like staring at you afterwards and saying, "How did these guys get into university?" And then (laughs) you were just saying to me that they just did four unit maths. That that seems so unlikely to me. You know, like I I I would have sooner thought Shannon Knoll did four unit maths than these guys. But there you are. It just proves your point. If you're Asian, you're good at maths, period. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> you can't argue with that, can you? Can't, you? you can't. It's genetic. Yeah. And it's also, you, you know what else it is? It's just the fact that I know this from my Asian girlfriend. I, I don't think Asian parents think there's any other subjects. If you, if you are taking any other subject, they're going to beat that out of you. You're going to take maths. Yeah. They're not giving you the option. Yeah. It's like doing the HSC for everyone else in the 60s. I think where that, there was just these like five set subjects. The other subjects are just an afterthought. They're just, they're just war- it, it's warm up to the main course, which is the maths test. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Then, That's all they care extensions about. extensions off maths. Yeah. Else. Yeah. English is just the permutations and combinations of various words. 
So it's statistics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so it's just so you understand the letters in algebra. Yeah. That's why they want you to do English. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's... That's the it would explain so much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um that's really my experience. Uh, is just this idea that because the thing is, look, obviously, the superior subjects are maths and science. Mm-hmm. That's a a very respectful course to take in life. I don't really have much sympathy for people like myself that just take your histories and your uh, and your ancients. But well, I will you, say this. You seem to have made a profession out of um, those qualifications, which is rare. Well, actually, it's not rare. You are, on average, going to make more out of an arts degree than you are a science degree. But that, in itself, I think is just a, a warped priority. Really? Yes. But it shouldn't be happening. But it's just basically people that do liberal arts or arts or whatever... They usually end up becoming CEOs and upper-class managers of corporations and things because they're kind of just better at communicating as a result of doing that. But really, they're not really adding anything to society. I've always been firmly of the belief that scientists should be billionaires. Like, if you you were properly gauging what value each person is adding to society, it's scientists at the top. What the fuck is a CEO doing? Yeah. I'll fire 400 people this year instead of 300. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you hear about the salaries of uh, 10 to $20 million a year for that. Yeah. And then if they're held accountable, are they? The company no. goes down and, and then they just get another job. Yeah, they get a golden parachute straight out. Yeah. It's all a little cabal and it all starts with fucking arts. Yeah. And I didn't realize wow. that that's where it started, dude, but it, yeah. It does, hey. Because yeah. they're not doing science degrees. Huh? They're not doing science degrees. No, Maybe Christ they're no. doing commerce degrees. Even then, I doubt it. They might not even do it. You know, um, uh, uh, Frank, what's uh, Kerry Packer? Jamie. Said, yeah. So Kerry Packer said to James Packer when he graduated, James didn't go to university and they interviewed Kerry Packer and they said, why, why didn't you send him to university? And he said, oh, what's he going to learn there? How to smoke marijuana. And then he sent him yeah. to a sheep shearing shed. Really? Yeah. So he did three years of sheep shearing and he said, yeah, that's how he's going to, um, that's how I'm going to prepare him for the business world. It just really shows that you don't really need any, like you need zero skills to yeah. open up a casino. You don't just you? need toughness. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently. Oh, maybe that's actually, okay. So that is what he was teaching him. I guess just to so. walk into a room filled with Chinese bankers and just be like, listen here for us. Like that's all he wanted. Because <laughs> that's what you do at, Sheep shearing sheds, right? Isn't it? Isn't it just like you're just knocking about <laughs> with know. a bunch of alphas? That's probably what <laughs> these like teach you give. Yeah. yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. The frame. Yeah. You, always, you always lean back. There we go. See, was nice Hello. and zoomed in for the people watching on YouTube. If you're not okay. watching on YouTube, what are you doing? Yeah, uh, you're missing out on the experience. We've got the, the nice new background and everything. But what we else? did that for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I did it for you. You didn't do anything. Fair. But hey, I gave you a compliment. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Um, what else is happening in your in your life? What's new? What is new? Anything you're upset about? Yeah, always. This is my my entire life is just being upset about things. Anything you are um specifically 
upset about, grumpy about? Well, I just found out about the water corruption racket. In fact, that's why I've been spending a lot of time down in New South, lower New South Wales. Mm. Probably going to get caught in one of these towns, actually, because of the corona outbreak. But that, that is well, that's scary. Science. Which is why I don't understand it. But I do understand the political part of it. But I don't understand when they just start sitting there and just being like, the evaporation rate should be at 2.7 me- like megalitres. I don't know. Look, the point is, what they've essentially done to water in this country, which is terrifying, is they've turned it into a stock market where there's just one, for lack of a better term, liquid asset, and that's water. And politicians don't have to register how much water they own. And you can trade the water now because of all of the laws that they've invented, uh, like you can in a stock market. So what they do is they just hoard a bunch of water, wait for farmers to get really desperate, and then they sell it at a profit. So essentially, they've turned the Murray-Darling into a stock market. And that's why this is not because of drought. It has nothing to do with drought, the fact that there's all these mass fish kills and just like a, you know, environmental catastrophe zone that has become the Murray-Darling is completely out of a corrupt racket that is now extended out globally. So there are now Chinese, American and Canadian investment firms that are just trading it like it's just the Nikkei. So that, that upset the shit out of me. Damn. Um, That's very grim. It's very, very grim. That's very grim. Is uh, are, uh, is it just for politicians that can buy into the... I'm not asking this because I want to buy any stocks of water, <laughs> but <I'm> just, <laughs> is it open to private citizens? Absolutely it is. In fact, it was mostly designed for them because it's always just the same corrupt cabal nexus. Sure. But you know what I'm learning out of this? Man... There's very little difference between democracy in ancient Rome and democracy now. Senators are worth just, you know, like money that you can't possibly be worth in a single generation without committing huge crimes. Like Peter Dutton, he's worth more than Malcolm Turnbull. What? Yeah. Way From more. what? Who knows? This is the whole thing. No, all of these politicians. John Barillaro, God knows how much that man's worth. On the registry, he's worth tens of millions of dollars, which means he's probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars because they just hide all of their assets in things like water and then they just put all money in the Cayman Islands and stuff. Think about it. If you're the one that's like putting out all of these grants... And approving grants worth billions of dollars. Sure, so they're always taking a slice for themselves. Is that pretty much essentially what's because what Peter Dunn was a cop, wasn't he? He was a cop. Yeah. How do you go from cop to worth? How much is that? That's like what a third of what Andrew Twiggy's worth. Where and and um, where can you find out the net worth of these? Uh politicians well you can't this is a whole thing you can only really just cobble together some of their assets so the assets that oh, okay. you can cobble together of peter dutton's are 300 million so he's probably worth even more than that what, where um where's most of his wealth tied up oh like all of them just you know 
stocks, uh, you know, companies that they're the board of, which always when it comes to like these board companies is, is a very common thing. John Barillaro does it all the time. They'll just start up like a oyster company or something like that. And then they'll just be a chairperson on it. And then they'll be a part of a committee that's got this, you know, hundred million dollar grant to spread around small businesses in Gosh. rural Australia. And then they'll just decide, yeah, we'll give $3 million to the farm that I'm a board member of. Like that, that shit happens all the time. And so one of those things is just water. Water is a multi-billion dollar industry now. And it just essentially has just turned the building block of life into this abstracted stock on a piece of paper that is just getting traded around willy-nilly. How can people find out about this? You can't. Other than your videos, how how do we how do we um learn about these things going on? This is the thing I didn't know. I've been studying this stuff for what well, how five did, six how years. How did you straight? find out? I'll tell you who actually did start it, and this is something that I need to correct the record for. Mm-hmm. You think that the shooters, fishers, and farmers are a bunch of yahoos? And, you know, probably are. But the thing is that they also, like, you talk to a lot of the people there and they're always just saying, yeah, we really need to change your name. But essentially what they are is just a alternative to the National Party in rural Australia, which has essentially just become a dictatorship. There's no challenge to their power. So are Shooters, Farmers and Fishers the the true voice of common sense? Yes. They're the, they're yes. the actual party telling it like it is? They are, dude. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, dude. The common sense brigade should be into the shooters, fishers, and farmers. And so, so is, is this how you found out about uh, what's going on with the water corruption through through sources from that party? Pretty much, they were just contacting me, and I was just saying, "Shut up! I don't want to have anything to do with you." Just a bunch of yahoos, and then eventually they started saying, "Like it's about water corruption," and so I was like, "I'm listening." And then I looked into it. Helen Dalton, who's an MP in New South Wales Parliament, who's just, uh-huh. as soon as she was just, uh, she took a seat from a national. There was a, one of the most historic swings in parliamentary history, something Is like she a, an independent? No, she's part of the Shooters, Fishers oh, and yeah. Farmers. Sorry, yep. I think she made a swing of something like 18% or something. It's just unheard of. Uh-huh. She won that seat. Uh, as a result of that, the Nationals have been doing every dirty trick in the book possible to win that seat back, just gerrymandered the fuck out of the seat. Uh, This is a a federal seat? State seat. Okay. States where all the power is. This is the thing. Nobody understands this, but most of the decisions that are being made that are big decisions are in state, which is scary because there's zero media oversight in state parliament. There there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just a cesspool of crime. And it's just so overt. The things that they get away with there is just, you know, it, it really boggles the mind. It's so blatant. And if there was anybody reporting on it, maybe you might get some attention out of it. But it's just rife with corruption. But anyway, she put out this bill just saying that, you know, like you have to start, the bill said that you have to start registering water on the pecuniary interests, which is just, you know, what politicians have to register of what businesses they own, what houses they own, what stocks they own. Mm -hmm. So you can see if there's a conflict of interest with them voting a certain way on a bill, right? Of course, yeah. 
Of course, as soon as they did that, the Nationals just banded together, railroaded her out of it and made sure that this water integrity bill wasn't passed. So I went down there to start interviewing them. And what were, what were their attacks on her? What were they saying? What were their criticisms of her saying that it should be transparent if uh, politicians have ownership over water? They don't. They don't have any. They don't have any actual attacks. They just have attacks of power. Like what they started doing was they started chipping away the towns that she comes from and is most well known, and started putting them into different electorates. So it's very unlikely really? that she'll re-win the seat. But now that she's there and she's just been working for the state, and as a result of her electorate, and you know, it's been thirty years since a hospital's been built there because all the nationals just play ball and don't really care about the community. It's all just a mafia system, really. Um, now there is actually things that are happening in that that region for the first time since the seventies, really. That actual infrastructure is being built there, and it's all because of Helen Dalton. So she probably will get reelected now. But in terms of arguments against the water integrity bill, it's just a quick nay. But Ever since she introduced that, she has been targeted politically in every trick that you can imagine because, obviously, there's major interests in water. We're talking about $13 billion a year being pumped into it from the federal government. Where's all that money going? Certainly not helping the darling. That's getting worse every year. So what's going on? And that's the whole thing. We don't know because (sighs) this shit's really hard to trace and there's entire government bureaucracies aimed at covering that paper trail. How can voters actually educate themselves on, on these sorts of issues if it's so hard to find? If Well, if, like you said, they're, they're trying to cover up their tracks so much. But also, if we just look at a budget outline and, and see, if I saw, okay, $13 billion is going towards water, I would think, well, that's a good thing. It's probably going to build dams so and did things, I. but so did I. how do we find out the where can we um see the specifics and the details of a, a budget like that is that even possible to an extent but again all of these are things are just abstracted bureaucratic words so you will just see it as uh the environmental water relief fund but then you look at the reality of it and what it's doing is it's just damming up water so water doesn't get flown onto, doesn't flow onto wetlands so they can keep that water in the Murray-Darling so they can just artificially increase how much water is in the Darling so they can just pump it out into a dam and then sell it later down the track, you know? like. But that's put under, you know, the Water Protection Fund or whatever. But you're going to think, again, even if you went into the specifics of that, you would think that's a good thing. But you have to actually go there and the things that I've seen happen to the Murray-Darling, as in uh, one council was given $12 million to treat their sewerage, to make a, a proper sewerage treatment plant. I went there. They said, come here at 6 p.m. at night. We went to this water this water sewerage treatment plant. 6 p.m. at night rolls out. They just pump raw sewerage straight into the Murray-Darling. That flows downstream starts accumulating because all the towns are doing it. It's all part of this cabal of corruption where all of them are getting these grants for things that are never built, particularly around water treatment. Goes downstream. That builds up blue-green algae because it's all just raw sewerage getting pumped into the fresh water. That raw sewerage results in fish kills. That's why we had those mass fish kills last year. Those could all be very easily treated if there was some integrity in government, but... The problem is that the nationals exist and the nationals 
are essentially just a dictatorship that runs rural Australia. And it's, you know, they've had a monopoly on power for 50 years. What they say goes. And they are very good at holding on to power. It doesn't matter how hated they are in these communities. They have tricks. They have ways of manipulating votes. They have ways of manipulating electorates to make sure that they hold on to those seats. So this is all that I've been learning recently over the last couple of weeks. Gosh. Scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know where to even begin with um, <laughs> any other follow-up with the follow-up questions, but I do I do uh, have many. But, okay, so you're saying that they're not – so there's nothing that's being done here that uh, is a manipulation of natural processes that is in some way – at least uh, helping the population in some way, you know, uh, normalizing the uh, levels of the dam or just ensuring that there's enough water for humans to drink. Is there, is there any sort of silver lining to this sort of thing that they're doing or is it all purely corrupt for them to line their pockets? Well, I'm going to go as far as to say no. I think the Murray-Darling water plan that was set up by Labor in 2007, I think it was. I think it started under Howard and then Labor took it over and it was all well-intentioned when it started, this grant to make sure that they buy back water. But obviously, as soon as the Nationals got their hands on it, they realised that they could really turn this into something bad. And the fact that as soon, like even after the water, the, the Murray-Darling water treatment system has been in, in, uh, in place, things have gotten much worse to the point that there are towns now without water where water is getting shipped in from other rivers even though these towns are connected to the Murray-Darling system. Shows you that something is really wrong here. Um. So I don't think that actually any of this money is going towards anything remotely constructive or positive because, as always, the solutions are very simple and they are not being implemented deliberately. And it's purely for the politicians' personal gain. So Well, so not necessarily just politicians, but politicians are there making the decisions. Yeah. They see the game and how it works. They're obviously going to be in on it. Well, if you've got integrity or you don't. Like someone like Helen Dalton, for instance, is obviously trying to fix the Murray-Darling system, but she's one MP in a minor party. She's not in government. She can't really do anything. But this goes bigger, like all of these things. it's Yes, there are politicians that are getting extremely wealthy off of this, but there's also Canadian, American, and Chinese businesses that are getting even wealthier off it. How so are they the ones selling the water? They're just sucking up water and holding it in massive dams and making, just like with diamonds, right? Like, you know how when... Like, like they would with, you know, gold or currency reserves or something like that and holding on to it. Yeah, like the, artificially the increasing the price. Yeah, wow. Okay. That's what they're doing to it. Where, again, like, is there any media source or... Uh, independent, even if it's a blog, any anything you could recommend for uh, the average voter to to look at? I mean, look, dude, Independent Australia does do a lot on water corruption. Independent Australia definitely does cover it. But the okay. thing is that when you 
like I've been reading their articles and they've been doing everything they can from a government level. The things that you hear that are being installed from like a federal and state government, sometimes they're deciphering those things and what it means. But again, this is all paper trail stuff. It's not the same as viscerally going there and seeing that, uh, you know, like it's 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 poisoning communities and it's d- destroying ecosystems, and you can see it in real time happen there. And then you go to these communities, and then you will talk to people who are water experts, who are scientists in this, who are um, not necessarily even have a degree per se, but they've just been following it extensively for the last ten years or whatever. And you know, you they've obviously got a lot of. Uh, knowledge on it because they've just been submitting parliamentary submission after parliamentary submission that gets ignored and then you ask them has the press ever done anything on this and then they say no sometimes very rarely prime news or win or whatever will say yeah we're doing a story like can you come and do an interview at this time three or four like maybe like a couple of hours before the the interview was supposed to commence they just Mm -hmm. ring up and say no we're not doing it (laughs) and that is because of political pressure that is being pushed on the media and that's why it's all just a sham and this is why when everyone always says like, oh, the ABC's independent journalism and shit. This is bullshit, dude. They're paid by the fucking nationals and liberals. They report what the nationals and liberals want. When the the ABC exposed their massive Four Corners report on water corruption, dude, they basically busted one bureaucrat. They didn't mention once in a 45-minute documentary of in-depth journalism once what party put that bureaucrat there they didn't interview any of the experts that i was talking to who said that the abc came to their town they knew that these people existed and they deliberately didn't interview them the the whole point of this is like with, with all of these things is they're deliberately trying to keep the public in the dark that is the purpose of the media. So when, so when you're saying like, is there anywhere that anyone can go for this information? It's hard, man. It's like uh, Helen Dalton, maybe, but no one knows who she is. She's just some New South Wales MP. No one knows any New South Wales MP, let alone one from like a minor party. She, she's writing about it all the time. There is select bits of information here and there, but it's hard to gather all of it together because that is what news journalists ostensibly are supposed to do but like bureaucracy when you when you have a corrupt system in power the press is actively trying to suppress information that becomes their job their job is not to enlighten the public their job is to keep them in the dark it's the same thing with bureaucracy so anyway that's that's the whole system that happened and so what 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 i noticed when i've been going to rural australia and stuff is that like yeah, they've, they've, they've been really trying, and this is a deliberate strategy by the Nationals, they're deliberately trying to kill rural Australia, as in economically cripple it. So you're always hearing them talk about, oh, yeah, we need all this investment in rural Australia. And they do get investment grants what, handed out. And what's their incentive to, to do that to their own electorate? Now, think about how evil this shit is, right? If they can get key towns economically crippled, like I've been looking at a couple of towns and going to a couple of towns and they'll be devolved in like a bigger documentary that I'm doing. But if you can go to a certain couple of towns that are very important to that electorate, 
and you economically cripple them. Say McDonald's wants to build a McDonald's there or KFC or whatever, and then you just say, no, 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 go away. We don't want any investment here for whatever reason, right? Eventually what starts happening is the young people start moving out and the families start moving out because there's no jobs there. There's no future there. They all leave. The only people that remain are extremely old people because they've got nothing to do with their lives anyway. At least they own a house there, so they stay. So what they're trying to do if they economically choke certain key towns, and this is the point, they're always key towns. They're towns that you need for, say, they, they, they're just like a, a meet-off point for like the wheat belt in New South Wales or something like that. Places that should be just, you know, teeming with money but are just completely crippled. If you do that and you depopulate that seat, you've held on to that seat as a national because all that you have left is just old people there and it's really sparsely populated. And as a result, your primary vote goes up. So the more that they are able to economically choke these, these regions and move young people into cities the safer their seat is. And here's the even eviler part. The safer their seat is, the more power they have in the Liberal National Coalition because they're the ones delivering the safe seats every election. And they say, look, we've got 11 seats here that are safe as houses. You need us. So you're going to play by our rules. And as a result of that, they can command even bigger rural grants that go into these electorates. And so they get even more money. That's how the system works. <laughs> it's fucking scary. It is. Um, again, I don't really know where to begin. I know. Um, with any follow-up questions there. No, uh, Is uh, how certain are you of of this? Is there any other? alternative as to why they could be uh preventing certain investments in in their towns well you tell me like one of the rail lines that we were looking at was one that went from can't even remember where it was supposed to go but the point is that it was aimed to go to melbourne now this is a key wheat belt town mm -hmm. obviously your bigger trading partner than wagga wagga is melbourne Population of 5 million versus population of, what, 50,000? Mm -hmm. Cost $200 million less to build if you build it to Melbourne. Mm. Um, you know, you, you also have ostensibly tourism coming to this town, even though that wouldn't happen. But, the you know, at the very least, you have wheat efficiently going to bigger markets. Yeah. Instead, they built it to Wagga Wagga. Why did they build it to Wagga Wagga instead of Melbourne? And then from Wagga Wagga, it gets transported by truck, increasing carbon emissions, making it way less efficient, way slower. The, the food supply to Melbourne just, you know, just inefficient on purpose. Yeah. The entire point is because Wagga Wagga is in Michael McCormick's seat. Michael McCormick is the head of the Nationals. He just wants to secure his seat. And then it also has the double-up advantage of, uh, you know, like economically crippling this this electorate that is now run, I think, by Helen Dalton. It might actually be run by Susie Cook. But either one of these two. But basically it puts that town, 
more beholden into national territory as opposed to passing through other electorates, right? So they're not seeing the economic benefit of that. Is, and neither is Melbourne. But then is, is Wagga Wagga seeing the economic be- benefit there? So uh, McCormack would have, would have wanted that for his electorate? Exactly. Which is corrupt in itself. If you if you are looking for what is in the biggest advantage of the most amount of people, you would be building obviously a train line to Melbourne. Why would you be building it to Wagga Wagga? The only reason you would be doing that is to benefit Michael McCormick's seat. And they're perfectly willing to waste two hundred million dollars of our tax money to make a worse train line to go there. And as soon as it goes there, then Wagga Wagga becomes the control centre of that region's wheat because all the wheat is being checked through Wagga Wagga instead of going to Melbourne. So they're the one determining where all of that wheat goes. So when you're talking about economic benefit, really you're just talking about benefit of a, of a handful of this, what they call bunyip aristocracy, just these really wealthy landowners that do all kinds of medieval tricks to make sure that they're just expanding their land throughout time. Um, But that is uh, investment into a rural town, isn't it? I wouldn't argue it is. I certainly wouldn't argue it is. I would argue that if the, the you know if it's, if you have all of these other major towns along the way going right. to Melbourne where they can fetch a better price and they could export it more efficiently to here, that is going to be of greater economic benefit than going to Wagga Wagga where it kind of just like bottlenecks all the wheat. Yeah, okay. And puts so, it under just one price merchant's control or a couple of price merchants' control as opposed to if you're going to Melbourne, you get to take it to market and it competes there. Yeah. Now, I, I hear something like that, and I would agree with you in saying that the, for the greater good of the country, it, it should be going to Melbourne. But is that necessarily then corruption if he's looking out for the best interests of his electorate? Is he, you know, is he doing something um, that is damaging his electorate for for his personal profit? Or is he just looking out for the people in his electorate uh, as opposed to what could be better for the country overall. Now, there's two points to that, but the first one is no, because he's yes, like yeah, obviously he is diverting it into his electorate, so he's pork barreling money into his electorate. Um, that's not necessarily corrupt. That is pork barreling. I think it's like grossly unethical. I understand that there's always going to be that ebb and flow in politics because every political party does it. Obviously, when you're in power, uh, you do what is called pork barreling, which is exactly what that is. It's just putting putting all these infrastructural suites in your seat that don't necessarily benefit the country at all. It's just all about uh, securing your seat. I understand that that's just an ebb and flow. The difference is the amount that has happened under this government is unprecedented. When we're talking okay. about sports rorts and all that kind of stuff that's been happening, sports rorts is the tip of the iceberg. So far, they have identified $8.2 billion of taxpayer money that was just chucked out just before the election on all of these phantom projects. And again, all of these phantom projects, some of them might be built, but in a lot of cases, like the towns that I've been looking at where it had the water treatment plants or... Um, you know, like a, a water treatment lab or just, a you know, an upkeep of the rail line, uh, upkeep of a rail line 
grant or you know road grants all of these things you drive around town none of these things are being kept up the upkeep is just not there like they're, they're not spending a cent on these things they showed us this rail line that's supposed to be upkept and where does the there's money, like missing tracks on it huh where does that money go this the is the million money? dollar question where does it go where does it go we don't know because it just goes into a council this is a whole way that the system works it goes into a council that council, for instance, this one that I was at, I won't say which one because it'll spoil it, but there was a certain council that we were at, mm-hmm. tens of millions of dollars of grants being pumped into this one council. You look around at all the other local councils, they're not getting anywhere near the amount of money. This one keeps getting, you know, like disproportionate. We're talking 10, 20 times the amount of money in these areas that the other ones are getting. And yet there's no upkeep. No upkeep in this town. No economic activity in this town since the 80s. All of this money is going somewhere, though. God. The hypothesis is that what happens to that money is the tens of millions of dollars go into this ta- this council. Uh, then it just gets uh, eaten up in what they call administration fees, which is all these bullshit consultancy fees and stuff. So essentially what maybe a politician does or a wealthy businessman does is they set up some bullshit... Uh, consultancy firm that consultancy firm charges a a ridiculous amount of money like a really good example of it is that rail line that i was talking about was supposed to go to melbourne instead of going to wagga wagga they charge 500 grand they charge a taxpayer five hundred thousand dollars for a consultancy because you know like after there was so much public upcry saying why isn't it going to melbourne why is it going to wagga wagga they said all right all right we'll we'll run this uh consultancy report then they hire a consultancy report that's linked to their boys and their friends. They charge this obscene amount of money for like a 20-page document. And then, this is the kicker, they say to the public, you're not allowed to see it. No one's allowed to see this document that we spent $500,000 on. But that's $500,000 of taxpayer money that has just gone, basically disappeared for a 20-page report that no one is allowed to access. That's just one example of the way that this money's funneled out. Another example is that, you know, like these administration, yeah, like all kinds of administration costs. And then they'll just at the end of it say, I don't know, know, let's just say that you've got $5 million for upkeep of the rail. There's all of these planks, there's all these rail planks that have fallen out, uh, the bridge, you can't even f- go over the bridge anymore because it's just so degraded that a train can't safely pass it anymore. So that train line has just gone to waste. Where did that $5 million go? Administration fees. Yeah. I'm positing that it's just set up by con- these con- bullshit consultancy firms and then just su- funneled out into that. And then they just send them this you know, little Xerox report and say, there you go. And they go, oh, yeah, thanks, mate. Nothing happens. And that's the entire point. It's just to funnel money out. And then I will go further. I posit that this taxpayer money then goes into the national party coffers and that's how they fund their campaigns. So they are diverting your tax money into these councils. These councils are then funneling this money out and it flows back into the national party's coffers so they can continue to get re-elected. And they're using your money to continue the cycle of corruption that they have themselves invented. And that's just what happens when, like, a party has been in power for 50 years or 60 years or however long they've been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the solution? I think the solution is to shoot as fishers and farmers. Okay, because some people would uh, might even argue, well, this is the perfect example of a, 
a highly inefficient government bureaucracy. So it's a cause to actually give less power to the government. Well, this is the whole thing. It's just that you can do that, but what will it be replaced with? It will be replaced with corporations that are going to be run by these same assholes that will have even less checks and balances on them. That's essentially what you're... The, the, and this is the whole thing. This is yeah. a deliberate strategy of these people. So, for instance, the ABC. Hate the ABC. Absolutely despise it. Do I want to privatise? Fuck no. But, like, you will not find a harsher critic of the ABC than me. But the reason that that is the case is because it is a deliberate strategy to make the ABC deliberately bad. So it makes people like me deliberately hate it. So when it gets privatized, you're kind of like, you know what? Fuck you. Sour grapes, you know? Same thing with bureaucracy. They deliberately make bureaucracy bad. They put their people there uh, as favors. Those people deliberately don't do their job. They deliberately white ant the institutions that they're ahead of. And so it makes the public frustrated with them. And so when they hear that these, uh, these bureaucracies are losing, you know, half of their staff or something like that, when it comes to maybe National Parks and Wildlife Service and stuff, everyone goes, yeah, well, fat catch aren't good for anything anyway. These institutions could run extremely efficiently, probably at a cheaper price, because a lot of this is just yeah. going to the bloated salaries of their mates. Yeah, these, okay. these are institutions that could work well, but it depends if you have the right people controlling these institutions. That's very interesting. I never, I've never thought of that before. What? I've never thought of um, a, a government that has a vested interest in uh, a smaller bureaucracy, specifically uh, making the what they have control over um, really bad so that people are then on their side and then just accept it when yeah well it also has the added bonus of there's less oversight on them yeah if you yeah. are constantly uh you know restricting bureaucracy and not allowing it to do its job properly uh you're allowed to get away with more which is exactly the same thing as like with state politics for instance right as much as i hate the media and i'm always just saying you yeah, fuck it and like yes I completely agree. And the things that, you know, the federal government's allowed to get away with just because of the scale of money is daunting just with our press system. But, you know, when you have no press on you, like in New South Wales Parliament, you know, heaven help you. What would, if I, if a, a Nationals uh, representative was here, what would their counter argument to some of your claims be? Because I'm trying to think of uh, something that I can... At they'll dismiss it as conspiracy. Well, uh, yeah, obviously, this is the yeah. way that they do it because they've just got very good talking points. Very good talking and, points. And They're a lot more those... confident with it because it's a, a lot less. It's a lot less. Uh, talking points are very, very easy to rattle off. It's the same thing that happened with me with my like nuclear energy debate with a guy that turned out to be a lobbyist for the Koch brothers, right? You get him against me, he's going to win the argument every time. Why? Because he's not interested in the truth. And the truth is a lot more complicated and it has to be unpacked. And the truth has never been uttered before. So it's already at a massive disadvantage because you have heard the what? Nationals' talking points a million times what, before. What would those talking points be Well, in, actually, this, in like, this situation in particular? A good example is... One of the things that they will say straight up is just being like, oh, the reason that there's a uh, uh, drought and that the Murray-Darling system isn't working is because there's too much green tape. 
the bloody Labor and Greens, even though this is bullshit, have uh, made sure that 2,700 gigalitres of water a year is held back for wetlands when we could just be flowing it down the Darlin and then there wouldn't be a drought which is absolute nonsense. It's First of all, it's not true to begin with. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that um, the, the people that are maintaining all of – that are holding all of this water, I think it's up to something like 50% of potential water flow just up the top of the northern regions of New South Wales basically flows in from Queensland. As soon as it gets to New South Wales, there's all these nationals electorates that it just goes – gets sucked up, then there's no water from there. But the thing is, you know, I don't have a map. I don't have the uh, – and, and even if you heard these water scientists talk to you, dude, like, look, I'm not a genius. I'm not a particularly dumb person. I would say that I'm like average intelligence, but like when they're explaining water science to me, I lose track. I don't know what they're talking about. But they, they know what they're talking about. It's the same yeah. thing with climate scientists. It's the same thing that you see this debate all the time in, and this is how they got away with it for, you know, all throughout the 90s and, and the 2000s when it came to the climate change debate. You get a climate scientist on, then you get a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry, basically a sat Yajit just standing there. Um, and the thing is, he's going to be better off. Why? He's got a degree in law. His entire job is arguing. He only has to have a few glib talking points that he needs to rattle off very quickly to disseminate and, and you know, rattle the scientist. The scientist is not used to communicating. The scientist doesn't have, you know, like all these, didn't go to a private school where he was debating back and forward and stuff. He's just sitting there just trying to convey very complicated facts in the span of five minutes while someone's sitting there being like, you're lying, you're lying. You know, you can't fucking win against that shit. But this is the same thing that happens with national politicians. Their, their entire job is to basically sit there and confidently lie. That's, that's, the job of a, that's the job of a lobbyist, right? So the whole thing is, if you want to get into these things, this is the worst part. It's like, is there any truth to, to some of the criticisms that could come from uh, s- skeptics, if you will, or lobbyists? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it worthwhile dismissing uh, everything they say? I think so. Just pure attack points. I absolutely think so because look, all I can the, the example that I will go back to again, I guess, is just me arguing with Sat Yajit about nuclear power, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get into the nuclear power debate again because I've just done it so many times and I'm so over it. Like, you know, people are going to sit there and say it's not that bad ecologically. Well, I strongly disagree with that again because I've read the reports on it. But okay, you know, you could go to the economics of it. You could go to the scale of it. You could go to, uh, you know, how long it takes to build. There's all these reasons that you could attack it. Anyway, every time he talks about nuclear energy, he, he very superficial talking points. I was able to disseminate it because I spent months researching it and I could just say, your example's bullshit for blah, 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 blah reasons. He noticed that, so he started moving to attacking renewables. Very clever point. Very clever point. He started attacking renewable energy instead of talking about the merits of nuclear power. And the reason he did that is because he sensed I didn't have the the knowledge on uh, renewables at the time to disseminate his bullshit talking points. His whole job is to sit there and lie. And it's all a design to keep coal in like a, you know, 
the, the forefront of people's minds, basically, basically distracting people from the fact that, you know, you could have renewable energy in this country 10 years from now if the investment was there and it would be a cheaper electric grid for everybody. It would be, you know, I, I won't bore you with all the details about it. But the point is their whole point is to sit there and say that renewable energy isn't reliable. We need coal. And they'll use nuclear energy as just a little distraction smokescreen to be like, oh, we can maybe use this, you know, uh, you know, bridging technology or whatever. But basically they're saying that because they know nuclear energy will never be built because it's so inefficient and it takes like 30 years to build. So they're just trying to distract the argument from that. The entire point of these people's jobs, it's a great phrase, it's called merchants of doubt. The entire point of lobbyists, uh, you know, these kind of cabal politicians, like your real scum of the earth, like the nationals, right? Their point is to sit there and create doubt. Their entire job is to sit there and think, how can I obfuscate the truth? That is a much easier task than trying to educate the population. It's much easier to just sit there and think of three or four glib talking points and say them in quick succession so you've just fucked over your opponent, you know? These are not dumb people as well. They're usually very intelligent people. A lot of the time, like John Barillaro, they're fucking morons. But, you know, like, you look at Barnaby Joyce, he's an amazing arguer. An amazing arguer. So, so going back to the national saying things like um, the Murray-Darling, uh, the, the the reason for the issues uh, of the Murray-Darling is because of green tape. Mm. So there's no validity to to that at all? No, there is validity to it, and this is the really this is the really effective point about this is because if you see the ground that there is validity to it, which there is some level of validity, which is that while this Murray Darling agreement this gets very complicated, really, yeah. really complicated. I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. See, yeah. this is the whole point of why they say these kind of things, because there's some level of truth to it. But essentially what happened was when the agreement was getting written up under the Rudd government, uh, irrigators, and we're not talking about just, you know, people that are growing a few fig leaves, fig trees along the Murray-Darling or whatever. Most irrigation that happens along the Murray-Darling is fine. What gets really hairy is, as always, mega farms, like mega agribusiness, business that is owned uh, by American conglomerates and stuff that just own huge tracts of land. That's where it starts getting bad, right? But obviously, because they are some of the most profitable companies on earth, they have all kinds of lobbyists in the negotiation room for something like the Murray-Darling plan, right? And they're sitting there demanding all of this water for irrigation. So then obviously the environmental advocates like the ACF and stuff like that, they're going to be in there and basically just to to try and just block some sort of water out for the environment, they'll be sitting there saying, we need this amount of money, this amount of water allotted, Right. If the Murray-Darling was just allowed to naturally flow and it wasn't being dammed up and it wasn't being measured, because it's not even being measured, but like they have all these measurement systems and all these like uh, pumps that you're legally allowed to put in and stuff. Um, they made the, the system very complicated on purpose and this money and this water is just getting pushed into these dams and not used to irrigate plants. That's the other thing as well. We have incentivized massive farmers and this is deliberately on them we've deliberately incentivized them not to grow crops to just hold water and wait for people who are growing crops to get really fucking desperate and then sell the water um so you've made a system where you have made food less secure on purpose and so 
the whole thing is that, yeah, when they're saying like, oh, this green tape is holding all of this water. That's true, but it's holding that water because these greedy cunts have commodified water and they're just holding it in massive fucking dams. Some of them like, you know, half the amount of water in Sydney Harbour in fresh water in Australia is just sitting in some of these shallow dams evaporating. It's insanity. But that is there to try and counter that. But a much more efficient system would be if you just allowed the water to flow along the Darling. Mm. But that's not going to happen now. <laughs> so when they say like, yeah, green tape's holding all of this water. True, but <laughs> that's that's a, a very selected fact, which yeah. is the whole point yeah. of lobbyists. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you have a finite resource like uh water and there are conflicting interests let's say there's a uh a choice between the um natural environment or uh, directing it to uh, a human population and the infrastructure associated with that what should a government do if those conflicting interests arise or is there enough water there that that doesn't even need to be a problem yes that's the scary thing about all of this and it's the same thing with all environmental problems they're always just trying to sell this idea that you know there's not enough for humans and animals and there's not enough for trees and humans we have to make sacrifices not true you have to make sacrifices if you're some greedy cunt that lives in fucking the Cayman Islands and you don't give a shit about this country because you don't live here and it's all just fucking numbers on a spreadsheet for you, then you're just going to clear as much land as possible. But, like, if you were managing the water properly in the Murray-Darling, it could very easily meet the needs of all the people along it and the environmental needs for the Murray-Darling. But there has been a system very deliberately set in place to reward, like with everything else in the world, greed. It's just rewarding greed. It's not... But if you set the system up to benefit the environment and people, there would be enough water there. Uh, If these uh, large mega farms and conglomerations that are mainly American-owned are taking a disproportionate amount of the water. Are they literally just holding on to it and doing nothing with it? Mm-hmm. Like diamonds. Really? Okay. You know about like how so diamonds... they're not actually just... using it for irrigation or... No. Nothing. That's the whole... They used to irrigate. Yeah. They used to irrigate. But now, because you've created this market for water, they're not even doing that. They're just holding the water. And also all these other deals are coming in now, like so when you see Barnaby Joyce, because they're in just the hope holding that it'll this then be, become profitable. More profitable. Um, yeah, okay. That you can sell later on. And so if you have a resource that is necessary, put aside, even the diamonds example doesn't even hit this because... Well, so diamonds d- are not essential. <laughs> Water they're is, not essential. is very they're essential. They're not essential at all. It's, it's different there. It's completely different. Yeah. So the thing is that, yeah, like if... if but it's live, the same, live the same economic... Pri- they're using the same economic principle for diamonds mm. for the most essential element there is. Now or, that's, a, that's, a, a, that's just bastardizing uh, free market principles to a 
ridiculous degree. Yeah. If you're commoditizing water. But and- here's the other thing that's even more scary about it, which is always the same thing when it comes to these things of just being like, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, like well, let the free market sort it out. Okay, let the free market sort it out then. Why have you deliberately corrupted these bureaucracies to benefit you? So not only is it the free market in action, it's just they've made the state, they've geared the state to allow criminals to get away with criminal behaviour, to deliberately protect criminals, people that are deliberate, uh, that are guilty of water theft. They've passed all these laws like, for instance, the one that the Nationals just passed, this is insane about New South Wales politics, they passed the law that even if you are found guilty of water theft, you can't be charged for water theft. So essentially, they've just legalized something that is illegal. That's what I'm talking about here when it's like the free market in action. It's not even that. It's just... No other word for it. I just really think that like these ideas of, you know, state-run ideology or, you know, like, a, I don't know, free markets and things like that, really, these are all just terms on paper the, the reality of the situation is do you have a corrupt system or a not corrupt system and yeah we just we have a really corrupt system if i were to steel man a a free free market argument for something like water i suppose it could be something like these large corporations uh, are much more efficient, even when it comes to essential resources like water, their processes, their operations will be able to deliver uh, water to to people and even to the environment at a lower cost overall, uh, as opposed to um, it being covered in tax expenses. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that, but I'm just trying to think what... Yeah. What the argument could be. Well, I mean, look, maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe that might be the case. And if, but then, like, if you, if what you say is correct, it, if that there's purposefully impeding the efficiency of the bureaucracy when it comes to the water plants, then that would play into that uh, uh, argument because they can say to the people, well, look, 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 this is how inefficient the bureaucracy is anyway. So let's. Let's just continue privatizing it. Mm. But then it just goes back into, like you said, their their mates' pockets anyway. Mm. So it, 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 it is all just one big cabal. It is. And that's the whole thing. It's just when, when these people are saying, because these are all just talking points that have just been extracted since, I don't know, the, the 19, they're mostly 19th century America principles. You can read books from back then. They're basically saying the same points. When they're talking about we want smaller government, essentially what they're saying is we want government that works just for our interests and no one else's. That's really what these industries are saying when they're just saying like, well, the government should just step out of water management altogether. They say that, but where's the action? Really what happens is they just half the size of, I don't know, water management, New South Wales or whatever. the I know it's called Sydney Water just in Sydney, but, you know, New South Wales Water, I think it's what it's called. They just halve the amount of people that are overseeing water and make sure that the half that are there are working for them. I don't know if that is that. Do you think that's originally what the uh, 19th century philosophers that were espousing that ideology 
were thinking or do you think that in more recent times the powers that be have co-opted that ideology and used it for their own nefarious means dude because it's okay let's not use water um i don't know some sort of non-essential consumer good if the government was producing it and taking care of the production and uh selling it to people or it was just coming through our tax versus if uh a multitude of private firms were all competing against each other to try and lower the cost but also provide the the highest quality product to the individual and as a result of that competitive pressure the uh the technological gains and the overall efficiency of whatever that product is or or the industry would increase exponentially whereas that pressure wouldn't exist when it came, when it came to just the government overseeing whatever that industry or uh, service or good is now I would when it comes to something like water that's an essential service so you know I would even say most people on the right or conservatives wouldn't want to commoditize something like water no that seems quite extreme but that would be the argument for say whatever it you know whatever consumer good it might be yeah and I think that there definitely is merit to it. The idea that the uh, private sector can deliver certain things better than, uh, basically, the general rule of thumb. I think I've talked about it before. Is that you know that uh, essential services should be run by a government. Non-essential services should be run by the private sector. That's really the long and the short of it. It gets obviously a lot more grey than that. But I wish I had more time to go into this because I just realized we've only got like four minutes. But look. It's all right. We can you, keep, you, well, don't look, have to stick to this. You, you can go back further. You can go back further in time because this is the whole thing. I, I've just recently uh, listened to Michael Parenti doing a lecture about Julius Caesar and it completely turned everything that I learned in ancient history. It's exactly the same thing that I learned about Gough Whitlam at school that you just heard that he was a horrendous economic manager, that he was unpredictable, and that's why he had to go. Then later on you realise, no, it was because he was trying to nationalise Australia's resources so Australia could keep its uh, profits for its own uh, for, for its own resources, which mm. you know I think it, virtually everyone on earth bar 12 people would think is a good thing. Um, in, at least in Australia, yeah. Yeah, in, in Australia, <laughs> sorry, yeah, bar 12 people in Australia, that's the thing, right? But then he was just talking about ancient Rome. And all I ever learned all throughout ancient history was that Julius Caesar was some madman that was looking to get rid of the Republic of, the, of Rome so that he could be dictator and then eventually emperor. And all he cared about was uh, power and glory and fame. But then I was just listening to this lecture by Michael Parenti that was talking about it. And then you realize, dude, Every historian that was from that time was from the Senate. Of course they were, because the Senate were all the wealthy patricians of the time. They were the wealthy landowners back then. They were the nationals of Rome. So they were like, you know, the most powerful people in the most powerful civilization the world had ever seen. And they were, you know, amassing huge amounts of debt onto the onto the local populations. Exactly the same things that are happening now. They just uh, owned all the land, had slaves run it. Everybody was destitute and poor in Rome. Julius Caesar comes along and says, 
makes just like some basic reforms like you know unions are legal um you like there's going to be some land reform around here you can't have 90 percent of italy owned by 22 people like we, we need to start divvying out some of this land we'll do, do some land buybacks um hmm. uh when gaul was invaded he said my veteran soldiers are going to get pieces of gaul they're going to get little parcels of land. I'm not just going to donate this to the Senate for free and they're going to have it. You're not going to just be able to cripple people into debt so that you can deliberately enslave them, which is something that they used to do all the time. They used to just charge huge amounts of money for rent in ancient Rome, just like housing affordability is today. It's just the same things happening over and over. This is 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, same things about housing prices. They just kept going up and up and up and that's because the people in the Senate owned all the houses yeah. They started doing the same things that they do now, which is just like keeping some of them vacant to make the price go up. And then, you know, families would have to move into clusters together and then they would barely have enough money um, to pay the rent. And then they'd have to go into debt to pay the rent. And then they the, the interest would be so high on the debt that eventually the entire family would just become slaves for them. And then they'd be moved out into the farms and work for the farms. And so the whole system was set up so that these senators were just reaping all of the rewards of the empire. Julius Caesar came along, basically was just a Bernie Sanders figure of the day saying that, you know, we're just going to have some basic social welfare programs. We're going to put a cap on like housing, like the, the price that you can charge for housing. We're going to put a cap on debt. You can't charge more than 12%. Some senators were charging like 48% at the time. And then what happened? Julius Caesar got assassinated. Why? Because he was not working in the interests of the Senate. This, this little cabal that had everything sweet for them, they didn't want to give out these just basic concessions. They still would have been mega wealthy, but they fucking killed him. How much, the same thing happens throughout the entire history. It's how the much, same story. How much blame falls on the, the system versus the nefarious um, intentions of those senators who had power and wanted to coalesce their power and, and didn't care about the greater population i reckon it's 100 percent on the senators man because julius caesar was really wealthy and powerful what did he want to use his wealth and power for the betterment of the people in the empire yeah. what did they want to use their power for accruing more wealth and power it's the same thing with helen dalton today right she's very wealthy they call her the the millionaire from i can't even remember where she's from now but the millionaire from whatever right she's a wealthy woman and she could use her wealth and she could she could benefit greatly from this you know water scandal that's happening now if she wanted to so if we do uh exist in a democracy right there's a there's a huge responsibility that it actually exists on the average voter to be informed yeah. and to really understand what's going on to ensure that that democracy is actually protected mm. um but if they don't do that, then this is what happens. Can you make that kind of a conclusion? Absolutely. And it's the same pattern over and over because, you know, it's not like there wasn't people before Julius Caesar that were trying to reform Rome. There was 10 or 12 of these Democrats, I think they were called back then, that just uh, accumulated power to the point that they could actually change the Senate. 11 out of 12 of those were assassinated. And the same thing happens here. You start getting a little bit too out of lockstep and key with what certain interests want. And like Gough Whitlam and like Kevin Rudd, you get removed. But the thing is that what people will think 
when they look back in history and it's still happening to this day, what, what do they media. say about Kevin Rudd? He's just, he's a psychopath. You couldn't work with him. He was insane. They just change Julius Caesar. He was power hungry. He was mad, you know, like uh, Gough Whitlam. Oh, he just had no idea. He was incompetent. That's the story that gets sold. And that's what the average person knows. And yeah, you're right. If the average person was educated to the point that they knew that that was bullshit, then they wouldn't be able to get away with that. It's very incumbent on the average person to be informed about these things. But I don't, I don't, I'm not holding my breath, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deep, um, yeah, I don't necessarily think that kind of, uh, well, some would call it corporatism is necessary, is a condemnation on free market principles. And I'm not saying free market principles are some kind of, uh, godsend or anything like that but as you said you can't always necessarily blame the system itself if people aren't taking the responsibility they have within that system seriously and the average voter in a democracy has a huge responsibility on their shoulders and yeah, exactly like people are aware of that the institutions that australia have are some of the best in the world australia has some of the best bureaucrats in the world best trained Government officials, I mean, look, most of the world is fucking Africa and, you know, like all these poor countries. You know, Australia yeah, Australia has the potential to do it. A lot of North well. African countries that are coming up and in another 50 years might Yeah, give them 50 years, they might be like close Ethiopia, uh, to Tasmania. Nigeria, Ethiopia, <laughs> they're... they're um, on the grow. Yeah, they're on the incline. Yeah, but that's mostly just because of population increase, you know. Like, the the thing is that Australia has the potential to be extremely wealthy if it plays its cards, right? I mean, we're already wealthy, but way richer if we wanted to. Um, yeah. But the whole thing is that, yeah, it's it's incumbent on the population to make sure that those systems work for you. I, I, I'm sick of all these, like, cunts always just being like, yeah, we need revolution, tear everything down. no. You're just a fucking dumb cunt. Like the things that are, the, the way that Australia functions now could be turned very easily to work in the benefit of the rest of the country. It's, there's very solid institutions here. Yeah. <laughs> you do, you, look, you're doing good work. You're inform, You're helping inform that um, population. So well, thank yeah. you. I know. It's, yeah. it's such an uphill battle, isn't it? Anyway. Um, we'll probably we've got to wrap this one up. Yeah, probably. probably. Um, I will say I don't. You know, when when people talk about freedom, I think a lot of people who just say that word don't actually know what it means. But say if we're uh, trying to under trying to understand that term in in the context of what we've spoken about, it's the average citizen has the freedom to. It, it, they they're not. Uh, there isn't a government that's sort of telling them what... Look, okay, hang on. They have the freedom to, one, obviously vote and to cast their vote and to, and to have their say, but with that freedom then comes that res the responsibility to be informed and to understand what's going, what's going on with the, with the country because otherwise you risk things like this happening. Mm. corporatism and, and, and corporate socialism and a lot of people on the right wouldn't actually say this isn't capitalism. If if the government is giving out these multi-million dollar grants to companies, there's nothing, there's not, that, that's not freedom. That's, it's corporate socialism. Yeah. And I mean, like you can even say it there where it's just, I don't know, 
That's their freedom to hold that water. What about the freedom that it imposes on of all the people downstream that don't have water now? Where's their fucking freedom? You know? It's it's such a simplistic way of looking at it. Essentially, the reason that they use the word freedom is because it just benefits those that have wealth and power to begin with. Just the freedom to expand their wealth and power exponentially, regardless of the cost to everyone else in the environment. I Look, I agree with you 100% that something like water should not be seen as a commodity that people can just buy willy-nilly, but... Would there be any stead in the counter argument that if the opportunity is there for a private citizen to buy the water that they need, then it's it's on them to think about that and look out for that? No, I just think that, you know, I, I really, I, look, I, I really cannot empathize with anyone that treats water as a commodity. I agree. I really think you're an evil person if you're doing that. I, I 100% agree with you that <laughs> you cannot commoditize <laughs> that. And I've heard, you know, there's there's been people who have theorized about commoditizing oxygen and things. Jesus. That's just... <laughs> no. That's insane. I mean, that's... it's Well, it's just... It's, it's puritanism on that side of politics, basically. Mm. But I don't I wouldn't necessarily conflate the concept of freedom with what they're doing there. No, but that's what I'm saying. They're not, but this is the thing that people need to understand. The people that say freedom are the people that are imposing things like water commodification. They use freedom as a mask. They use it as a guise, to, again, just to, to abstract it, to put some flowery language around it, to hide the truth of the situation. Yeah. That's okay, what sure. I'm saying sure. is happening sure. there. So yeah. when people say... So when, when the average voter hears freedom, yeah, that sounds That sounds, that great. sounds and, great. And in most situations, you want freedom. You want freedom, exactly. Of course. It's, just, it's a marketing tool. That's what I'm saying they use it as. Mm. So I think you just got to be very careful when you get into these philosophical phrases, right? Like when it comes to when it comes to things like talking about you know your own internal being and and life choices and things. I think that there's a very good th- these are usually good phrases, philosophical terms, but and this is something that I think particularly Reddit needs to get over. It doesn't transfer to the real world. It doesn't transfer to the macro scale. There's there's a completely different set of tools that you need when it comes to governing and managing resources. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, just from my own experiences, I think when people are young, they're very idealistic and Mm. they hear a philosophical viewpoint or a, a, a branch of political science and they think that's it, that's exactly how everything should be run. Mm. But practically speaking... Oftentimes, that's not feasible to fully enact um, an ideology to its fullest extent. No. In fact, that's the whole point, isn't it? It's just, it, it's, it's all just a wank exercise. It's all, let's imagine the perfect world. <laughs> but, what, what about you just look at what's there and then figure out how to manage that? That's true. But then when you, when you have a separate discussion about... Uh, 
when you when you involve philosophy more into the realm of, of, of politics, I think it's worthwhile still talking about those concepts. Oh, when you're talking about, you know, the, the general frame of how you're going to allocate those resources. Yeah, I suppose I suppose you can definitely you can do that. I think that there's like a and there's those philosophical underpinnings can often still influence a lot of the motives of certain politicians and voters. But yes, like yeah, the the way that you see the world definitely does that. But th- this is the whole thing, right? Is that if you are actually interested in what is in the benefit of the general population and the electorate that you are looking out for, you will start seeing contradictions in these things. Is yeah. something like it's just yeah, the same yeah, yeah, thing yeah. with self-help, right? It's just Absolutely. like you you know Self-help will tell you all the time that you should, you know, be very excited and move towards a goal, but it'll also tell you that, like, you need to relax and there is no goal. And you need to be able to keep both of those ideas in your head at once. This is what I think is really dangerous when you get ideologues in government. Yeah, you can't, yeah, if you're a purist, it's, uh, and it's just not tenable. Ultimately, you'll be found out and people will vote you out, hopefully. Not always. Yeah, well, never really. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's (laughs) But that's yeah, that's the whole thing, right? I think, and it's it, easy to understand. I think from the perspective of a of a of the average voter, they can look to a certain politician and oh yeah, they're a you know they're a capitalist, so I know exactly what I'm going to get with them. Yeah, but it's very rare that they they completely stick to that ideology and everything. Yeah, exactly. They act out well again because it's it's impossible. Again, the ideologies you you can't stick to these things. And extremely, they're not efficient. They don't exist in the real world. This is actually something that is wrong with, econ- with economics as well. And, and true economists will always be pointing this out. I, I think they call it the damned science. I think that's the phrase that they use for it. But essentially, it's just because economics is just be- built on assumptions. There's no, the, the best thing that I ever heard was this joke that was describing it, where it was just like, a, you know, an engineer... Uh, I can't, I can't even remember it now, but like, yeah, let's just say that it was just like a, I don't know, like an engineer, a, uh, an inventor, and uh, an, an economist were like washed up on a beach, and then they came with like this can of beans, and then so like the engineer like said, we'll invent a can opener, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll invent a can opener like out of a rudimentary rock to open the can, and then the inventor said, no, we'll just put it like on in the sun to heat it up, and eventually the can will explode. And then the economist said, well, assuming we have the can opener, that's how economists see the world. They just assume that things are there that aren't there because that's how you have to deal with that science, right? So it's deliberately designed to not look at the world how it is. So when you're yeah. talking about all these things like capitalism Very and things like that, it's yeah. just all moved. Like Basically, the underlying assumption of capitalism, if you really want to look at it, is that we live on a world of infinite resources. And there's just this optimism that, oh, it'll sort itself out somehow. We'll invent new things. Maybe. But I don't know if that happens forever. Certainly didn't happen in ancient Rome. They came up against, you know, the Germans and the Gauls and just like changing climates up here. There's all these things that stopped them from expanding the empire. You just come across boundaries at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the same thing with you know, when when people like that say those kind of things. And like, dude, it's the same thing with you know people who describe themselves as a socialist or some shit. You will come across examples 
where it just doesn't fucking work. You know, like, like just doesn't. Sorry. I think like a really good example of that is the fact that if you just put everything under government control, you get something like the Soviet Union. Now, the Soviet Union had a bunch of external factors that it was dealing with, like the and environmental factors that it was dealing against. But dude, a major fucking thing is like if you just have a few people trying to control an economy here and you have an economy that is expanding throughout all of that area there, there's no way that you're going to be able to keep tabs on like every, you know, fisherman on the other side of Russia. You're not going to be able to do it. So in conclusion, <laughs> the best ideology is the common sense ideology. It is. That's, that's, it is. That's, that's what I'm what saying you should vote shooters, fishers and farmers. <laughs> yeah, they're a good party, man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Doesn't so- social democracy sort of take that kind of pragmatic approach towards the economy and, and governance and says, all right, there are some things that are better left to the free market and then there are just some things that are better uh, left to government. And is that still an ideology in itself or is it a middle ground of two competing ideologies? I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not a political scientist. Well, see, this is the whole thing that I'm talking about. Even when I'm talking about, you know, Soviet Russia was... You know, a communist government, but by no stretch of the imagination was it even close to what Karl Marx was talking about. Not, not nowhere close. Hmm. And it's the same thing with capitalism. Is it anything close to what Adam Smith was talking about? Even things when they talk about something as simple as the invisible hand that is just always used as this mythical thing that will just make sure that all resources go to where they need to go in the most efficient way possible. Adam Smith was warning against the invisible hand in his book. He was saying that that's stupid. And it's just been mythologized throughout the throughout the years uh, to be basically the cornerstone of what we understand as capitalism, and it's the same with social democracy. These these are all just phrases. They're all they're all ideas. I mean, look, but you know, if you're going to say something just very briefly about what the best way to govern is, yes, it's definitely just this hybrid idea that some things should be left to the government and some things should be left to the private sector. And I will just stipulate one more time. I think that the things that should be left to government are things that are necessary. Health, education, prisons, police, army, water, environmental management. These things should be left to the government. And look, I think uh, 90 plus percent of the population would agree with that. And a lot exactly. of it comes down to messaging and the media. And exactly. Exactly. These other factors yeah. That yeah. Come, uh, That's how it works. Come into play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they may disagree on, you know, certain sectors and, and whatnot, but overall, that general idea, I think 95, 99% of people would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And exactly what you're saying, just the fact that you have the system that you have in place is purely because uh, of corrupt interest, which is why I just always go back to this. Just just if you really want to use like a term to describe a society, I really think it should just be like how corrupt is the society? Every society is going to have corruption in it because it mm. has human beings in it. But how corrupt is it? That's what you should be looking at. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for informing me <laughs> and everyone. That yeah, was great. You're most welcome. That was, um, I enjoyed that. Cool. Well, I enjoyed the, you know discussing and, and delving into it. I didn't necessarily enjoy hearing. Some oh, no, of the, it's, it's some of the, uh, yeah, it's it's heavy. It's heavy. Uh, thank you for listening. 
please subscribe if you haven't already and we will we'll see you next time see ya